You know, I would repeat what my brother said to me, you know, think about the most fun you ever had out there drinking or the best people you ever drank with. And that's who's in the meetings. The finest people I've ever met in my life were in the rooms of AA. And my family tells me my friends are weird, but I am so happy to have those people as my friends. I mean, really, the finest people on the planet are in AA. I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. What's up? Thanksgiving is approaching. (gasps) It's the first of the month. Do you know what I'm grateful for? Dressing. (laughs) No. The new grapevines are here. That's what I was about to guess. (laughs) That's right, Don. The new grapevine is full of gratitude, this issue. Many chosen from the archives going back to 1944. Visit aagrapevine.org to search the collection yourself or subscribe in the AA Grapevine app and search there. This month from 1988 in the story Love, a man gets sober and gets a crash course in cherishing what's important. In the recent story, My First Sober Thanksgiving, a newcomer asks how on earth can he celebrate without booze? Woo, man, I remember my first Thanksgiving. I was miserable. I've been sober for six months. Thanksgiving came and I wanted to drink so bad and I went to a meeting and it was a gratitude meeting and they were going around the room sharing gratitude and I just was like, I don't have any gratitude. I want to get drunk and I I can't stand this. And they were just all started laughing and and wrapped me (laughs) in gratitude and helped me through that night. It was, you know, it was hard. Yeah, you got to watch out because around Thanksgiving, you will get gratitude meetings. You get some gratitude <laughs> I don't remember my first Thanksgiving sober. And I am yeah. sure I went to uh, to a meeting or two that day as well. Because, yeah. you know, in those early days, it was the holidays that messed me up anyway. I didn't know what to do with me with this extra time. So I wound up going to more meetings. Though, which always works. Yeah. There's a personal story called A Dream is a Promise You Give Yourself. Instead of crashing at the gates of alcoholic hell, she got to have cake with her alcoholic friends. Hmm. Alcoholic hell or cake with friends. (laughs) Maybe this not drinking thing is not so bad. What's hard to choose between alcoholic hell and cake? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty simple, Don, but gosh, that's a hard decision when you're all up in it. Yes. Well, we're going to find out in just a bit why the hard choice. Today's guest is the author of A Dream is a Promise You Give Yourself. We welcome Elizabeth Liz P. from Rockaway Beach in New York. Her story's on page 34 of the November 2023 issue. Ooh, I'm grateful she's here. And I'm grateful you're here, Sam. Believe it or not. Not. Oh, you believe it. I'm trying to. I'm going to fake it till I make it, Don. (laughs) I'm grateful for everything. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for gratitude itself. (laughs) I'm grateful we're moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not. Because now we have the news. 
The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions for How the Steps Change My Life. Tell us how the steps have changed your life and enriched your sobriety. Give some examples. What is your favorite step? Which one surprised you the most? Share your stories before November 15th at aagrapevine.org. That's coming up soon. So very, very soon. Hi, everyone. I'm Liz P. from Rockaway Beach, Queens. My uh, sober date is February 20th, 1997. And I just celebrated last February 26 years of sobriety. And my home group is Midwood in Rockaway Beach. And I am very happy to be here and very, very grateful to be sober. Liz, do you remember your first sober Thanksgiving? You know, I was thinking about that when you were talking and, you know, I got sober in February and I had a really tumultuous early sobriety. A lot of things happen in early sobriety. That's what your article is about. Is yeah. Your first year. I can't remember like what my first Thanksgiving and I did Thanksgiving. I cooked Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's my holiday. My family. Wait, <laughs> now you weren't still in a blackout, right? <laughs> no, I was not in a blackout. No, no. What about the holidays? Yeah. So, you know, my last drinking Christmas, I got the just I got sober in February and the December of drinking was awful. I had a party and in a blackout, I almost fell out a window. I fell into the window jam and cut up my face and didn't remember, like woke up bloody and black eyed and everything. And then I had to go to Christmas. It was a couple of days before Christmas and I had to go. And my mom came up to me at it was a family party and said, um, I look in your eyes and I don't see my daughter anymore. I don't know where she went. You look dead to me. Your eyes look dead. You know, and mm. all I kept thinking was, well, I don't know where your daughter is either. Like, I don't know what happened to her either. You know, she wasn't supposed to get here. Like, I, you know, and I was married. I had two little kids. I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old when I got sober and had begun doing, you know, all the things that, you know, drinking mothers or alcoholic mothers do with their children, thinking I'm doing a good thing, but, you know, balancing a glass of red wine on the tub as I'm bathing them and, you know, bedtime stories with the glass next to me and, and starting to do things in blackouts and a lot of trouble. I I went through a lot of struggles in early sobriety. I got separated and divorced. I got separated at six months because my husband at the time who was, it, he's in AA now, sober and, you know, he's a good guy, but not in time to save our marriage. And he did not want to get sober. I needed to get sober and he did not want me to get sober. You know, when you're drinking buddies, we were, you know, we were party people together. Yeah. That was our, you know, we had that bottle in between us. So I had two young kids. I went back to work in early sobriety. Like a lot of things happened that I was just so busy doing that kind of stuff. And I had a great sponsor. My sponsor's name was Grace. And she truly was Grace. You know, I had a guy in the rooms at must have we had a meeting that ended at 10 o'clock. So we came out of the meeting. I sat on the steps and I wasn't going home because I didn't want to go back to that house. I knew my husband was drunk, you know, and uh, he was like, you got to go home. Like it's 1030 at night now. Everybody put their cigarettes out outside the meeting after the meeting was over. 
And he ended up bringing me to this woman's house and like he called her. We had to go to a payphone, right? There was no cell phone. We had to go to a payphone. <laughs> he called her on the payphone, said, I'm coming over with a woman. And she answered her door in her robe and brought me in her house, made me a cup of tea, and she became my sponsor. She helped me do everything. You know, she helped me go back and get a job. She helped me open up my own bank account. Like she just, it was like I came into sobriety at 37. And in reality, I was, you know, what do they say? You're the emotionally the age you are when you pick up, right? So I was like 13, you know, I didn't know how to do anything. And I lived like a whole life. I'd been to college. I had a career, you know, I thought I was getting by, but apparently I wasn't doing so good. So what was the biggest struggle that you had coming into AA? I think it was admitting that I was an alcoholic. That was probably the biggest thing. You know, I knew I had a problem drinking. That was clear. But and and I've got alcoholism in my family, but only in the men. No women had alcohol, uh, were alcoholics, you know, except when I got sober, my mom told me about an aunt that my father had that never married, that used to go to the bar on Friday night. That, that's, I know. <laughs> All of a sudden, the family yeah. secrets come out. <laughs> oh, yeah, they right, do. Exactly. It was the idea of like, what am I going to do on New Year's Eve if I can't have a drink? You know, oh, yeah. Like, like, what am I going to do on Friday night? What am I going to do on Tuesday mm -hmm. night? You know, I, mean, I was a daily drinker at that point. I wanted to control it. You wanted to control what? The drinking. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to say, oh, I could just have a few and be okay with that, you know? Yes. And I knew my husband wasn't giving it up, you know? And so I wasn't really ready to give up my marriage. But at that point, stuff was starting to happen. You know, I'll tell you a really funny story. I was at a neighbor's house, maybe four doors down from mine. She had a hot tub. We got very drunk in the hot tub. And somehow she convinced me I should leave my bathing suit in the, you know, at her house, let it dry at her house. And I went home in my little cover up, you know, and two o'clock in the morning and a young fireman that lived on our block happened to be coming home at the same time, had a whole conversation with him, went home, passed out, woke up the next day. And when I got up and looked in the full length mirror, the cover up covered, you know, my behind quite nicely, but not the frontal part, you know, like that was totally open, you know, and I had a whole <laughs> conversation with him with, you know, it ended at my belly button. All right. And there was nothing else. Yeah. There, you know? So those kind of things were starting to happen. He was happy to stay and talk all night. <laughs> he sure. Yeah, he never. Liz, I did the same thing, though. I did the same thing. I was Donald ducking in the backyard talking with the neighbor and I'm just wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh not pretty. God. It's funny, but it wasn't pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Those things were happening. I knew, you know, the jig was up, you know. <laughs> so. so what was the thing that broke and gave you the willingness to go to AA? Yeah, I, I had a brother who was sober and he'd been very gently, you know, 12 step in me without my realizing it. And he had given me uh, the living sober book. He gave mm -hmm. me a little card that had the promises on it. So I was reading it, but I was going to do it on my own. You know, after that party and that Christmas, I didn't drink for five weeks on my own. And uh, we decided, my husband and I were going to go to Ikea and buy blinds. And we bought them. And then we decided that was cause for celebration. And we started drinking again. You know? <laughs> right? so you never well, stopped, of course. You know? <laughs> it's a big <laughs> day. Blind. It was a big day. It was a big day. <laughs> and uh, I had read somewhere that to break a habit, if you could put a star on the calendar for 30 days, you'll have broken your habit. 
So I did that. I had five weeks of stars and then we got the blinds and then I drank again. And then that night, his mom called us February. His mom called us and said the heat in her house broke and, you know, it was cold and we had already started drinking. And so she wanted to come over and we didn't let her because we wanted to drink more, you know, and she was a saint. She was like the best mother-in-law you could ask for. And then for the next three weeks, I had one star on the calendar and that I was right back in. And that's when I knew, you know, I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I wasn't the daughter my mother wanted me to be. And, you know, it, it was in my face. And I had an awakening sitting in my basement drinking and my kids and my husband were upstairs and I was down there. It was like my time. And I was down there getting loaded and I was running out of everything. And I heard a voice in my head say, well, what are you going to do? You know, is it time to get reinforcements? So what are you going to do? And I just had this overall feeling that if I continue to drink, I've always been very lucky. And I had this feeling if I continued to drink, things were going to get so bad. And you know, in a fight, like when a boxer or they go like this, like the fight's over. What Liz is doing right now, she's holding her hands up kind of like, my, my hands are off of this. I'm not touching it anymore. Like I felt God do that. Like mm. I, I can't even, like it wasn't like a picture in my head, but it was this can't feeling of it, God yeah. saying, if you want to do it, you're on your own. Like I'm not helping you, you know? And that was it. I called my brother the next day and I was like, I'm ready. I'll, I'll, I'll go to a meeting. And he took you. He took me. Yeah. And, and was that the first it. meeting you'd ever been to? It was the first meeting I'd ever been to. And it was in the village in Manhattan. And I kept walking around the block. I wasn't ready to go in. So we must walk around the block three times. And finally, he said, listen, we're going to be late and everybody's going to look at you. You better get in there. We got to go in. <laughs> That's true. Like, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but he said to me, you know, think of the people, the most fun, coolest people you've mm -hmm. ever drank with. He said, that's who's in those meetings. Only they have their soul back. And I walked in and that was it, you know, and I, I mean, I've never walked out of an AA meeting since, you know, and I don't think I've ever been, I've been to some weird meetings, but I've never been to a band <laughs> meeting. So, <laughs> yeah, that was it for me. I knew then I'm going to stick around. And, you know, it took me a while to figure out like that my life had been unmanageable because I had a car, I had a house, I had nice clothes. Like I had all those material things, which I lost most of them in early sobriety because I got divorced and I had to kind of start over again. But uh, I definitely got myself back and I was able to give a life to my children then, you know, without being drunk. Your story is a whole lot about continuing to go to AA and to pick up chips in the face of your husband saying, well, why are, you, why are you still going to these meetings? How do you deal with that in the early days going to AA? With the message coming for me, it was coming from both inside and somewhat from outside. Isn't this too much? Well, so I did my 90 and 90 and I was able to say to him, I'm gonna, you know, I need to do a 90 and 90, you know, and on my 89th day, he said, aren't you going to have 90 days tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, I'm not going to babysit anymore. Once the 90th day hits, you got to figure out how you're getting to your meetings. I'm not, you know, he babysat his own kids, right? So I don't know what to say about that, except, you know, um, and on the 90th day, he gave me a card, you know, congratulations on your 90th day, you know. 
I knew then I was on my own and there was so much alcohol in my house because, you know, he had his alcohol there and my dad had taken him out and spoken to him. And that's when I knew I had to go. Like I had to make the decision then, was it more important that I stay sober or was it more important that I stay married? And I decided to stay sober. And then we ended up at six months. Uh, he moved out. Gotcha. Your story, the names of some of the people. So we're talking about where you're picking up that chip and we've yes. got Psycho Rich and yes. Mike the Mailman and Surfing Bill and Baseball Doug. Is Now, is that something that was unique to that group or is that something that you find going on today? I think that people in AA have nicknames. I mean, yeah. I have seen that in a lot of the places and they have like, you know, I mean, Mike the Mailman's a mailman, you know, so that, uh, yeah. you know, that makes sense. But yeah, no, we had Pete the Hat was a guy that wore a hat. Did you get a nickname? So I did. So I ended up going back to school in sobriety. I went, I went to law school. So then a lot of people call me Liz the Lawyer, you know. I love it. <laughs> What is your daily sobriety like now? Do you still yeah. go to all those meetings? I do. I still go. I go to three meetings a week, like two separate home groups. So I have my home group. It meets on Sunday nights at six o'clock is the Midwood group. And I, I just finished doing the chair service there, you know, being a chairperson. But I've been a GSR for them. Coffee. I just had a coffee commitment, you know, maybe eight months ago with them. You know, mm -hmm. like I still do commitments. And then I go to two, a Zoom meeting that meets on Tuesday and Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m., and then I sponsor, you know, I sponsor uh, women in AA. I have two women that I'm taking through, you know, doing step work and all that right now. And then I have three women that I sponsor that are, they're good. You know, they're easy. They call me up to say hi, or they call me up when they're jammed up about something. And then I have a son who's 31, who had a lot of trouble with alcohol and drugs, and he's in sober living now. But at the height of his trouble, I went to Al-Anon. And so now I sponsor two girls in Al-Anon, you know, it's a family disease. It is. But I'm very active and, and I got, I married Psycho, well, his real name is Psycho Rob, but it was Psycho Rich. I just didn't want to give away the real name, but I married him. All right. I oh got divorced five years later, I married the Psycho. He needed a lawyer. And, and he, yeah, he needed a lawyer for sure. He needed a lawyer, but he's sober 30 years. So we have a sober house, you know, and, and we uh -huh. have a child together. You know, I have two children coming into the marriage and our 19 year old is who we're up here for the parent weekend we have you know we have a sober house we have parties people can bring alcohol but they just got to take it when they leave you know and he goes to even more meetings than i do and i don't know i have a huge step 11 life step 11 is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with god as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out How, what do you mean you have a step 11 life so, you know, I meditate every day. I, I dedicate the first hour of my day because I'm not working right now. I'm a writer and I'm doing finally doing my own writing. I used to write professionally, so I'm not working now. I stopped working right before the pandemic. And I said I was going back, but I haven't as of yet. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. So I spend that first hour, like I even get up early if I have something to do, to spend in quiet. I pray. 
I meditate. I do like a 20 minute meditation. And then I have spiritual books. I read, I do classes. Like I, I do different types of, you know, spiritual type retreats. I have a spiritual director. I meet with once a month to talk about really where is God in all the mess and what is my relationship with my higher power. And, you know, it's, what do they say? It's not all passion prizes, right? So I never had a pink cloud and I kind of had a rough beginning because so many changes in that first year. And, you know, I, I didn't really know my God. I grew up with the best God on the planet. I mean, I went to Catholic school. I had nice nuns and priests, you know, my parents love God. God was wonderful, but I did not have a daily contact. I thought I could only go if I had big stuff, you know, and now like, I don't know about your God, but my God has a potty mouth. He curses. He lets me curse. You know, it's like, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> he gets me for who I am, you know, and I learned, you know, really to say, well, you know, it's your fault. I'm the way I am. Can you help me out here? You know, I can have a relationship with God. Oh my gosh. I love it. But it's taken a long time to get to know them, you know, and what I get with the girls that I sponsor, I don't get that many newcomers, you know, I'm kind of older than, you know, we got a lot of young people in Rockaway, we get 19, 20 year olds, like, by the busload coming into our meetings in Rockaway. And so, you know, we try and get them with younger girls. And, you know, we help them, we do things with them. But sure. I got a lot of girls that have like, five years, eight years. And they're like, so is this all there is? Is right. this what I'm doing uh, yeah. now? You know? And then we go deep. Well, are you doing service? That's always, you know, a big thing. And then, you know, let's jump into step 11 and see what you're doing. Liz, I'm curious. So you say you spend about 20 minutes meditating. What yeah. does meditation look like for you? So I do something called centering prayer. So I pick a word and it could be any word, you know, um, and I just, you know, I, I do a little bow. I invite God in and then I set my little iPhone for 20 minutes and I close my eyes and then I just sit for 20 minutes. And if my mind starts to get active, I repeat that word and eventually my mind will calm down for you know a nanosecond uh -huh. and then as it pops back up i repeat that word and you know and sometimes it feels like i've spent 20 excruciating minutes repeating that word you know and you i use the word joy but you could use you know i've used calm i've used sorry i've used you know whatever's going on in my life but i tend to use joy and sometimes i feel like i enter the meditation and the alarm goes off a second later, like there are rare occasions where I really am able to, you know, shut me off. Yeah. Well, I hope that folks will grab a copy of uh, the November issue and take a read through your story because that, that's you. a beautiful article. We've got a little something here because we are fast approaching the holidays. 12 tips for a sober, joyous holiday season. You can search for that in the app or on grapevine.org. This is from 1981. Number one. Line up extra AA activities. Help on the phone, speak, empty the ashtrays. That's a little dated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have share in New York where they have meetings. They start like uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and they go uh -huh. to the Sunday after. And same thing for Christmas and New Year's. In North Carolina, I've heard them called Alcathons. Okay. Yeah, they're common. You know what I thought about going through the holidays? Once I did about five of them, I've had five days sober during the holidays, <laughs> which, you know, my first five days were hard, but it got easier. 
So the more that I yeah. live through the holidays, it becomes a little bit easier, but they're hard at first. And we try to invite people too. Like if we had a big holiday party, we would just open it up. And then people who didn't really have anywhere to go would come. That's on the list. Read number two. Be a host to friends, especially newcomers at home or at a coffee shop. Good, good. Yeah. That's great. Number three is keep your AA telephone list with you at all times. That's super easy today. That's easy. Yeah. It's hard to do but use the telephone. And we say, just say, I'm calling to practice. So another one was just tell them my sponsor's making me call people. Throw your sponsor under the bus. It's okay. (laughs) Let's see. Find out about holiday meetings or celebrations in your local groups. We do a gratitude meeting where we have food and everything for everybody. Uh, Let's see. Number five, skip any drinking occasions you're nervous about. I can go anywhere in the world dependent upon my spiritual fitness, my spiritual condition at the time. If I'm nervous about it, it's worth paying attention to that. Even if you think you're okay and you get somewhere and all of a sudden you don't feel okay, get out. Be willing to leave. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And be honest with yourself about it. Number six, if there's one, as in a drinking occasion, if there's one you can't skip, take an AA friend. Or keep candy handy. So Hagen Dazs chocolate chocolate chip became my best friend. <laughs> 30 pounds later, I had to go on a diet, all right? So. <laughs> Number seven, don't think you have to stay late. Plan an important date in advance. It's surprising how people do not mind if you leave a party. <laughs> yeah. But if you say, I have to go, I have an appointment with, of, and just made up, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. They don't care. Here's the thing, Don. I'm getting a word of the day, and this one I got like a week or so ago. It's called absquatulation. Absquatulation <laughs> is leaving an event or party unannounced, just leaving, <laughs> disappearing, ghosting. That's the Irish exit. Exactly. Absquatulate. I love that. Certainly it's polite to say goodbye, but if you need to leave, leave. What if your mother is saying, or your father, where are you going? No, don't go. You need to stay. If I tell my parents I got to go to a meeting, they're like, we'll drive. We'll leave with you. We'll drive (laughs) you to that meeting. In, in another situation, like, it's okay for me to turn around right then and walk away. I'm sorry that, you, that the damage that that may cause in that moment, but me getting drunk is going to cause a whole lot more. Absolutely. So I'll clean that up later, but right now I need to remove myself from the situation. So priorities. Yeah. yeah. Number eight, go to church, any church, and don't forget about extra meetings. You know, I grew up in church, but then, you know, like all good Catholics, I stopped going to church. You know, it's just what you do when you become a teenager. And, you know, I was making coffee in early sobriety and we started the coffee at like six, but the meeting didn't start till eight. And there was a seven o'clock mass. So once everything was set up, the guy that I was making it with, you know, my coffee partner said, come on, we're going to go to mass. And I said, oh, no, I don't do that. And he goes, no, come on, we're going to go. And, you know, take those suggestions in early sobriety. So I went. It was a folk uh, mass, like folk choir mask. So they had all the songs from the 70s where, you know, Jesus was cool and God loves you, you know, like the gospel <laughs> and day by day and, you know, all those Jesus Christ superstar type of stuff. 
I felt like I felt like I cracked open during that mass. And I have found that no matter what church I'm in now, doesn't temple, mosque, church, quiet room that, you know, I can find it just it does something, you know, that community of people together or just a hall where so much prayer and, you know, glory or whatever has been given. You know, it it does something to you. It really does. I had a priest tell me once I made a comment about someone going to mass early in the morning at seven o'clock every day. And wasn't that a bit much? And he said, you know, you're in AA. It's very similar to going to a meeting to reset myself spiritually to what I'm doing today, where's the source of my power, and how can I be helpful to others to point me in the right direction. And all of a sudden, it all opened up to me that all the churches really are doing that. And I think it's important here to say that, you know, this was from 1981. AA is not religion. AA is not affiliated with our churches out there. Some of us are not going to go to a church. But you listed off a fabulous list of places, and that can go even farther, like go to a park, go to yoga, go to some place where people are congregating and find some peace in those places. It's really important. Number nine. Don't sit around brooding. Catch up on reading, museums, walks, letters. That's being alone. And frankly, I think being alone is not really the answer for me. We had a guy in our meeting who told a story about, he called his sponsor up and he was so depressed and he was telling his sponsor how horrible life is. And his sponsor said, well, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm sitting home listening to Patsy Cline records. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Get the hell out of there. Are you crazy? <laughs> Because, you know, the joke, I don't think much of myself, but I'm all I think about, you know, mm -hmm. that was me. So anytime I'm stuck in that head of me, 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 it's time to invite someone else in, you know, for sure. Let's look at number 10 here. Don't project about holiday temptations. Remember, one day at a time. Keep it in today. And you can get through anything, anything in a day. You today. know, Keep your feet where they are. Keep That's your it. head, your feet, your heart, everything right where it is in the present moment. Number 11, even if you cannot give material gifts, enjoy the beauty of holiday love. Well, there's pressure, particularly in the Christmas tradition that we do. There's a lot of pressure to spend a lot of money yeah. and you may not be able to. I did very little things, even with my kids, those first Christmases, they were small, you know, but they were meaningful. You know, one small gift that touches somebody is so much more important than bigger ones that don't. All right. And here is number 12. Carry the message, give the joy away, and it will be yours to keep. Those are beautiful. You always get more by giving. Even sponsorship. Like I know a lot of times people are afraid to sponsor, but you will get so much more out of sponsoring someone than they will get out of you sponsoring them. You know, I promise you that. Liz, this has been great. Yeah, this is such a pleasure and such a joy. for It's like an honor to be able to be a part of this. So thank you so much. Liz, thank you. It's been a real joy sitting here and just laughing with Thanks. you. Yeah. Beautiful information, but a lot of joy too. Yeah, yeah that's right. Hi, folks. We need your stories on the individual traditions. Pick one and write about your or your group's experience with it. How has a tradition played a part in your life? How has your understanding of a tradition changed? What is a personal experience where a tradition played a part? 
Visit aagrapevine.org for guidelines and to submit. from 1947. Pop, what's an alcoholic? A man who tries to pull himself out of trouble with a corkscrew. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc., We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.